faith. It's one of the advantages of the book of Psalms. Uh, uh, People who have gone before, who have uh, processed life by faith. And, And sometimes we just simply let them speak for us, and we pray their words, and they articulate the cry of our heart. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 56. It's our psalm for today. So we're eight weeks uh, into this 12-week series. We'll start with the historical situation, and the historical situation is given us in the superscript. We read, to the choir master. Okay, so this psalm was intended to be turned into a song and sung by the people. It was to be a like a worship song. According to the dove on far off terebinths. Apparently it was, it was to be sung according to a well-known tune called the dove on far off terebinths, which everybody at that time knew, but we don't. <laughs> I'm curious, what did that sound like? A miktam of David. We don't know what a miktam is. Uh, we guess at it, probably either a, a a liturgical term or some kind of a musical term. We just don't know. But here's the situation. When the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, when I preached on Psalm 34, we went into detail on that situation. I won't do that today. I'll simply uh, read the few verses describing that in 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. That's a Philistine city and king. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And so it was that uh, being on the verge of being killed in Gath that gave rise to Psalm 56. Now, Before I read the psalm, which is short, and we'll do that in its entirety, I want to just point out that there's a refrain that is twice repeated in the psalm, which I think clues us into sort of the central idea of the psalm, at least it's the central idea we'll talk about today. Uh, First is verses 3 and 4. David writes, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can flesh do to me? And then in verses 10 and 11, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, 
what can man do to me? So the question I want to grapple with today and seek to answer through this text is, what do I do when I'm afraid? When I am afraid, number one, when I am afraid, first thing I want to do is recognize that fear is common to those on mission with God. I love how David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if I am afraid. If I'm ever afraid, no, he says, when I am afraid. He understands fear is a part of the Christian life. Now, some people, including Christians, uh, make it their goal to not go anywhere scary and never have any fear. And so they make it their goal to live a comfortable, safe life. But how, is, how does that line up with God's call for us to join him on mission? God is on a rescue mission, and he goes into the broken areas of the world to bring his, uh, his hope and his love and his life and his justice. And if we're going to join him on his great rescue mission, it's going to take us to scary places where sometimes the fear will, will rise. It's just part, it's a normal part of the Christian life. Global Leadership Summit. There was a story that uh, fits so well here and was so compelling uh, about a guy named Dalton Dallingdahl. And he's a prosecutor in Brazil. And it's his uh, responsibility to go after political corruption. And I guess in Brazil, there's a lot of it. And so he and his team have been making some significant headway, uh, and they've, been, they've begun to bring some corrupt politicians to justice. And the backlash has been severe, because we're talking billions. It was estimated, I think, $4.2 billion uh, annual that gets siphoned out of the Brazilian economy uh, because of corruption. And so he and his family and, and his staff have received death threats. If you continue... Uh, to pursue us. We're going to take you out. And Dalton uh, was sharing at the summit, and he said, uh, many times I've thought about quitting, but I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> this is what God has called me to do. He has called me to bring, uh, pursue justice on behalf of my country. Because every one of those uh, corrupt dollars that we recover can go to caring for the poor and needy in our world. And so, as Christians, we cannot make it our goal to never be afraid. In fact, we've got to embrace a life that has fear because we are on mission with God. So, when the fear rises, first thing to do is, hey, you know what? This is common for God's people. I'm not unique. Doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. In fact, I might be doing exactly the right thing, exactly what God's called me to do. And David, why is he in Gath? He's in Gath because God has called him to be the next king of Israel, and Saul's reacting against that. He doesn't like what God has planned. So 
So are you willing to embrace a life that has fear because you're on mission with God? You'll miss out on so much of what God wants to do in you, through you, in this world, if you make uh, the safe life your goal. Number two, when I'm afraid, what does David says say? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When we're afraid, we want to entrust ourselves to God. What does it mean to entrust yourself to God? Well, uh, I'm sure you've seen this simple illustration. <coughs> How do you know whether or not I trust the chair? Whether I'll sit in it, right? I'm not going to entrust myself to the chair unless I believe it's going to hold me up. In the previous chapter, David writes this, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, sit your butt down in the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Are we willing to entrust ourselves to God? Trust is the antidote to fear. Trusting God is the antidote to fear. You know, in the United States, there was no anti-venom, no antidote to a scorpion sting up until 2011. That's amazing. Up until 2011, boom, if you got hit by a scorpion in the United States, you were in trouble. And so um, when kids got stung, they very often spent days in the ICU before recovering. Sometimes they didn't recover and they died. But in 2011, the FDA approved uh, a medicine or an antivenom that had been developed in Mexico called Anuscorp. And now it's highly effective. And so now when kids get stung by scorpions, within three, four hours, they're released from the hospital and they're doing great. Why? Because the, uh, the, the toxins, the venom toxins, are being counteracted. They're being neutralized. And that's what trusting God does for us. Fear is a, uh, a paralyzing toxin. But when we tr- entrust ourselves to the Lord, it can uh, counteract that. It can neutralize that. Which is why David says, I shall not be afraid. I shall not be afraid. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, we read, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so, we have, this is an invitation to us. When the doctor says the biopsy results came back positive, and you are going to have to undergo some significant uh, chemotherapy treatment, maybe radiation treatment, the fear will rise, right? The fear will rise. But we have an opportunity. We have an invitation from God. You know what? Uh, you can cast 
your anxieties upon me. And then rest in the, in the truth that I care for you. And, and, and if we do, then the fear begins to subside. It begins to be counteracted. When your spouse says, I no longer love you, I want a divorce, the fear is going to, to rise, and it can be paralyzing. But we have an opportunity, an alternative, rather than just trying to drink, hold on to control, we can hand that over to God and trust that our future, our marriage, our family, to the Lord and, and begin to feel the fear counteracted by his grace. It's not crazy to entrust yourself to God because he's almighty and he cares. He has the power to help us and he has the will to help us. He will not let the righteous perish. Will we entrust ourselves to God? When we get let go at work, and all of a sudden we're not sure how we're going to pay the bills, the fear rises. Absolutely. Well, what do we do right then? The, ten the tendency is, it's when you're afraid that it's hardest to let go of control, right? Have you ever tried to jump off the bungee bridge? You would think those people don't know how to walk. We all know how to take a step, right? But when you're there and you're looking over the cliff, I forgot how to take a step. So it's often precisely in that time of crisis that it's hardest to entrust ourselves to go. Therefore, it's a choice. That's why David says, uh, I, when I am afraid... I put my trust in you. I shall not be afraid. I choose. I choose to sit down in the chair. I choose to believe God will hold me up. Number three, when I am afraid, praise God's word. Isn't this interesting? He, he repeats this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. And down in verses 10 and 11, he really hits it. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. See, David is not putting his trust in an unknown God. He's putting his trust in a God who has revealed himself and his good uh, purposes for David. See, there's only so much about God we can know from general revelation, the natural world. But God, praise God, he has given us special revelation. He has uh, granted and then preserved throughout the centuries uh, his special revelation so that we can know him, so that we can... Um, Bank our lives upon very specific promises. Now, why, is, why does David say, I praise God's word? Isn't that interesting uh, wording? In God whose word I praise, whose word I praise. 
I think it means two things. Number one, I think he's recognizing it as divine, right? That's a word you use for praising God, praising the divine. So David recognizes God's words as uh, God's words. A few years ago, Sabrina and I had uh, dinner with a rabbi here in town. And we were, you know, couldn't help but talk shop, right, with this rabbi. I was super curious, man. So we got talking about, uh, uh, you know, what we call the Old Testament. They call the Law and the Prophets. And, and so I asked him, you know, what's your, how do you understand the Law and the Prophets? And he said, it is the best wisdom of ancient man. That's not what David is saying. I praise God's word. It's not the best wisdom of ancient man. It's the very words of God. See, if it's the best wisdom of ancient man, well, that allows us, modern man, to pick and choose what aspects of it we want to believe and apply to our life. But some of it we're probably going to discard because, hey, we're modern man, and we're enlightened a little bit more on some things. But, but Christians have always said, this is God's, the very words of God, who knows better than I do. And and so it's, it's authoritative for us. And the second reason I think David says, whose words I praise, is because he sees it as a gift to us. That, that it is such a gift that God has revealed himself to us and revealed his good purposes for us and has made promises to us that we can, that we can root our lives upon. What a gift. Well, David wrote Psalm 19 as well. And in Psalm 19, he, uh, he goes into more detail about how he views God's Word. And so I want to just uh, hit a couple of the verses, Psalm 19, 7 and 8 in particular. David writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Let's just sit on that for a moment. The law of the Lord, and by that he means the Torah, the first five books, uh, because that's what he had. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. Lacks nothing. Reviving the soul. Why does it revive the soul? Well... Uh, we would have no way to know how to get right with God without it. General revelation, the natural world can't tell us how to repent of our sins and, and get right with God through his son, Jesus Christ, right? It's only special revelation that gives us that type of direction and clarity. But when, so apart from the law of the Lord, we, our souls could not be revived. We could not go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. We, we owe so much to the Word of God. Number two, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What's a testimony? A testimony is somebody who is saying, let me tell you about what you didn't see and you didn't experience. And we always have a choice. Am I going to believe that person's testimony or not? Much of the Scriptures is God saying, let me tell you about reality that you can't know apart from me, because you can't test it, right, with your scientific uh, methodology. 
I'm coming from heaven telling you about the past, and I'm telling you about the future, and I'm telling you what exists beyond your material existence. And David says his testimony is sure. It's believable. We can bank our lives upon it. And when we do, we become wise. Number three, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts, those are like principles for life. And the Bible's full of principles for living. And those principles for living, which, for example, would say, you know, hey, regarding like marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime, keep the marriage bed pure. When we, when we apply those um, precepts to our lives, when we live that way, we realize those are right. They lead us down the right path, not the wrong path. And our heart rejoices because it's the path to life abundant. And I have said this before, and nobody's yet challenged me. I have never met a person who has uh, devoted herself or himself to uh, obeying the precepts of the Lord who then regrets it and says, well, that didn't work. That led me down the wrong path. No. Finally, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the second is like unto it. That was the second too, wasn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I kind of conflated those. And it says here the commandment, singular, and I'm assuming that means the, the commandment of love. And then, so as we live a life of love, our eyes are enlightened. I think what it means is that our sense of what is right and good in the world is clarified. Our moral compass is, is uh points more toward true north. Do you praise God's word? Let me say this. You, can, you will only trust God, you can only trust God to the degree you praise his word. Because what is trusting God? What is trusting God is trusting what he has revealed in his word. We're not putting our trust in some nebulous God. We're putting our trust in a God who has made promises to us. And we put our trust in those promises. There's the connection between trusting God and praising his word. The two go hand in hand. And so listen, if you have, if you have not yet resolved the questions in your heart regarding whether this is in fact God's word, preserved throughout the ages for us, Get those questions resolved because otherwise you're not going to be able to deal with the scary times. And there are great materials on this that I can point you to. Actually, uh, the, the, when we started meeting weekly, the very first sermon series I preached, 10 weeks long on painstakingly long on why we believe the Bible. And it was a series called Text. Because I understood that if we as a community do not believe that this is God's very word for us, it all falls apart, man. Finally, when I am afraid, face the worst case scenario and see that with God, it's really okay. 
When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to me? And I think David faced the worst case scenario. Well, they could kill me. (laughs) What can flesh do to me? Flesh can lie to me, can cheat on me, can divorce me, can rape me, can fire me, can put me in jail unjustly, can uh, steal from me, they can drop bombs on me, they can declare war on me. Flesh can do a whole lot of really bad stuff. So is David naive about that? I don't think he's naive. I think what David is saying is, listen, when I entrust myself to God, nothing will happen to me that God does not allow. And God won't allow anything to happen to me that's not somehow for good. Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say for some things, for those things that God's in control of, but not those, those things that he's not in his control. Uh, for those things that people do that are nice to us, all things, including the bad stuff, for all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if you believe that, you then say, what can man do to me? Yeah, they might kill me. But even that's okay. Because I'll rise from the dead. I have an eternal life in front of me where there are no more tears and no more pain and no more betrayal, right? I like to think about uh, like a tapestry, And God is weaving this beautiful tapestry out of all of the events in our lives. Everything that ever happens to us, the good and the bad, God is weaving it together. And someday we will stand before the tapestry of our lives and we will say, that is beautiful. God, you are I praise you for allowing all of that to happen in my life and then weaving it together like that. That is good. You are good. I praise you. That's what David is saying here. What can man do to me? Nothing and nobody can sabotage God's good plans for us. There it is. There's Christianity. Nothing and nobody can sabotage God's good plans for you. And so think about that thing that was done to you, that's been eating you up. Do you believe that someday you're going to see that woven into a beautiful tapestry of your life and praise God for it? Because if you're a Christian, you will. And then you're going to think, ah, why did I waste all that time and energy on earth? You know, fretting about that and being angry about that and and holding grudges and trying to get back at people. I could have released it. Listen, we live in a broken world. When we're on mission with God, 
He's going to take us to scary places. The fear will rise. But if we will entrust ourselves to God, if we will praise his word in the midst of the scary times, if we will believe this glorious truth that nothing and nobody can sabotage God's good plan for us, we can say, like David, I shall not be afraid.